What's up, everybody? It's Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study once again. Today we are starting chapter 7, and just like all the other chapters, uh, this is a relatively short one, so we should be able to finish it all today. Um, also, today's chapter is very much tied to chapter 6, which a lot of these chapters in 2 Corinthians have been. And uh, I don't know if a run-on chapter is the correct term, but... Um, and chapter 6 is definitely running on over into chapter 7 in the first four verses. So this chapter could be read as a standalone. So if you just picked up chapter 7 and started reading it, you could get away with reading this one as a standalone and kind of get the gist of everything. But to really understand what Paul is saying and really get the, the whole uh, comprehensive understanding uh, of what he's writing you really do need the end of chapter 6 in order to understand what he's talking about at the beginning of chapter 7 and even some other places in chapter 7. So um, <clears throat> let's talk about chapter 6 before we jump into this so we can understand what we're reading today. So at the end of chapter 6, Paul is talking about how we are the temples of the living God. And he explains how we, we or our bodies are the things that house the Holy Spirit. And, and that's a wonderful concept uh, that we greatly benefit from. And if you remember, if you've listened to this, uh, how in the last three verses um, of chapter 6, Paul references multiple Old Testament verses to compile the final three verses of last week's chapter to affirm his claims that we are the temples and that God has promised to dwell among us in the form of his Holy Spirit if we dedicate ourselves to God, just as the temple was the, the, the house of the Spirit of God once it was dedicated to God in the Old Testament. So let's read verses 1 through, two, one through 4, and we'll get started. Um, so this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this is to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts, and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and I made, and made me happy despite all of our troubles. Okay. So, <clears throat> it's just kind of my opinion that in verse 1... Um, they probably should have just taken verse 1 and definitely left it in chapter 6. Uh, I just think it fits more perfectly with chapter 6. It's it's riding on the coattail of what Paul was talking about with the promise uh, of God dwelling with us if we set ourselves apart. It's talking about um, salvation and this precious gift from God. And um, to understand that... Um, that Paul is continuing to talk about our need to separate from the world or to set ourselves apart from the world. And the separation from the world is a direct indication of holiness being made possible for us. Now, <clears throat> without separation, we cannot experience holiness. And that's really important for us to understand today. Without separation from the world, without separation of sin, we cannot draw closer to God. So, while we may be able to be saved exactly where we are. So, so God may meet us exactly where we are and save us in the midst of our sins. 
But as we give our heart to Christ, without the separation, we cannot draw closer to God. So salvation is a gift from God that we cannot do anything to attain or deserve. However, holiness very much seems to be something that we have to put forth the conscious effort to receive from the Lord. So holiness is not something that we can (coughs) make for ourselves or receive in any way. You can't work towards that. But Scripture seems to reference the concept that there has to be an effort on our part to prepare ourselves to become holy once we have given our lives to Christ. Now notice that I said you have to receive holiness because holiness is still a gift, but we can't attain it on our own. Now I'm going to read to you this passage, and I'm going to read it from the New International Version because I like the way the New International Version words it better than the NLT. I love the NLT. I use it 99% of the time. But I just think the NO, the NIV does this one better justice in the way that it's worded. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this was just a couple of weeks ago, it said, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I think it's important when you talk about holiness and righteousness that we cannot be righteous on our own and God would never ask us to be righteous on our own but rather he wants us to become his righteousness that he wants us to be like him as believers in Christ we are called to be like Christ as children of God we're called to bear the image of God and the only way we can truly be like someone now think about this the only way we can really be like someone is to be around them in order to truly mimic who they are. We have to spend time with them. Now, if you want to be the righteousness of God, then you have to draw close to God and spend time with Him. But the only way that you can draw close to God is to separate yourself from the world in order to make room for God to move in and to have access to God. So, just understanding that the world is sinful... And God can have nothing to do with sin. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, once again, you kind of see this concept of seeking God's righteousness, not our righteousness. We can't achieve it on our own, but we're seeking God's righteousness. Well, God wants you to seek him. God wants you to separate from the world which is inevitably separating yourself from sin so that he can make himself available to you. And this is why Paul said, let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And and that is when you become spirit-filled. And that's when you receive God's righteousness. But you have to choose to separate and and you have to commit to that for for some time before God may come and fill you with this holiness and righteousness. And, And I just want to say that again. You know, this is not going to be one of those things where you're going to say, Okay, God, I'm separating myself from the world. So come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me righteous and make me your righteousness. Well, that's awesome that you say that, but you need to do that. 
And it takes time to do that. And it takes a lot of prayer. And it takes a lot of scripture reading and seeking the Lord in order to get to the point where God can come to you and and begin to cleanse you from the things of the world, to change the way you think, to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and to help you become His righteousness. That's very important to understand today. Now, verses 2-4 through four are a little unique because... They're not necessarily tied to the end of chapter 6, but they're very much tied to verses 11 through 13 of chapter 6. So, it kind of is much, it it would be a much better start of a new chapter, is what I'm saying. If if you take chapter 1, lump it with chapter 6, verses 2 through 4 would be a much better start of chapter 7, but it's still tied to chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Now, Paul is not condemning, okay? Paul, he's continuing to want the Corinthians to open up their hearts and accept him and his companions as apostles and as ministers of the gospel. And he's not condemning them in any way, but he's simply stating facts and that the only reason that Paul is separate from the Corinthians uh, is because they have chosen not to accept Paul. Now, Paul very much wants to be with them. And he even said that they live together and they die together with them. And in spite of all that he's seen and all that's been done and all that's been accused, Paul still has confidence and pride in them as a body of believers or a.k.a. a church. He still has confidence in them as a church. And even despite everything that has happened and all the pain and all the tears, Paul is happy because they believe in Jesus. That is all that matters to Paul, and that should be all that matters to all believers everywhere. We sh- we should only want other people to believe, and that leads perfectly into verse 5. So let's read verses 5 through 10 together, and we'll keep on going. <clears throat> it says, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. But so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me, and how sorry you were for what happened, and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while." Now I am glad I sent it because it hurt you, or not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. All right, so verse 5, Paul begins talking about his experience in Macedonia, and apparently it was not a great one as they were facing various conflicts, and Paul's words were uh, said that they were facing them from every direction. Now, it is important to consider... um, you know, reality whenever we're reading Scripture. And so a lot of times when we read, we just assume a lot of stuff. So we just, I know for me for years, you know, you just assume that Paul is this kind of juggernaut of a missionary, like this 
this force to be reckoned with, this guy who everywhere he goes, um, there are converts and churches are being started and disciples are being established and amazing things done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, being in ministry over the past, uh, going on, it's getting close to 20 years. Um, you know, ministry's hard, and I have not experienced a lot of success like that in ministry. And I'll say that I, I have um, experienced a lot more than other people, um, and I've experienced less than other people that I have witnessed, but nothing compared to Paul. But the truth is, is that when you begin to read and research everything that Paul went through, Paul constantly experienced conflict, frustrations, animosities, persecutions, hatred, violence, suffering, heartache, sorrow, pain. He experienced all these things in ministry, but but in, in various aspects of life. And we'll talk about some of that other stuff later on. But, but his experience in Macedonia was like so many other experiences in places that he visited. Um, it was hard. It was frustrating. And, and there was times where Paul was even fearful because of what was going on and the, the, the resistance that he was getting from those people. So if you remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, when Paul talked about God being the God of all comfort, well, even in this moment, God knew exactly what Paul needed to overcome the hardship he was experiencing in Macedonia. And God knew exactly what comfort to give Paul because he is the God of all comfort. So Titus shows up just at the right time to give Paul the news of the repentance of the Corinthian church. (coughs) And this is huge because Paul's life hinges on people believing in Christ and continuing on in their walk with Christ to finish the race strongly with the purpose of winning, with the purpose of having eternal life. And, And to find out that the Corinthians had repented and mourned for what happened was an amazing victory not only in Paul's life, but it was a, an amazing victory for the kingdom of God in general. And this news filled Paul with joy. He was ecstatic to hear that the Corinthians actually wanted to see him after the terrible encounter that had uh, that he had had with them just a short time earlier. And, you know, we, we forget a lot of times that Paul is just as human as you and I, that he's flesh and blood. He, he has feelings and emotions. He's mental and physical and spiritual just as we are. And he hurt, and he felt things, and he got frustrated, and he lost confidence. And, you know, I, I know how easy it is to doubt the calling that God's put um, in your life. And I, I say that because I've experienced that. And, you know, I, I know what it's like to struggle with whether or not, you know, you feel like you can accomplish this or God can use you to do certain things and not having that confidence And I've never experienced the frustrations or the hurt or pain or suffering that Paul endured. So I can only imagine the questions and doubts that were running through his mind after his experience with the Corinthians. And then he hasn't heard from Titus and he's worried about Titus. And so he goes to Macedonia. And now in Macedonia, um, there's all this turmoil and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're afraid, they're fearful and I bet Paul was just like, God, what are we doing this for? Um, you know, like, what is going on? Why is this so hard? Surely you're going to help us with this. You know, what's going on? And at just the right time, 
the God of comfort sends the exact comfort that Paul needs, and Titus shows up with good news. So in verse 8, we begin to get a little more insight into this third letter that we've talked about a lot that we, we don't have access to. Like, we don't know what the third letter said, but Paul... Uh, talks about how the letter was severe and he didn't regret sending it and at first he was sorry because he knew it was painful but now he's extremely glad that he sent it because it has uh, brought about repentance and the people have changed their ways and and the sorrow from this uh, letter who experienced it, it is a godly sorrow it's not a sorrow that has hurt people permanently or brought worldly hurt but it's a sorrow that has led people away from sin. It's a sorrow that results in salvation. And I always love bringing attention to this because, um, you know, at, for our denomination, this is kind of one of those things that we <clears throat> we we believe in. But I know a lot of people uh, have been taught otherwise. And I feel like the majority, like when you go looking at Scripture and, and finding Scripture that affirms this, there's a lot more passages that affirm this this understanding of salvation is not something that is just this one-time event in the past and now we all have eternal life. But when you begin to read the New Testament, there's so many passages of Scripture that refers to salvation being a continuous work of God's grace in our lives that should be taking place every day. And Paul has consistently referred to um, salvation as being a present tense thing of of being uh, continuously happening even saying today is the day of salvation from chapter 6 last week so Paul has constantly referred to the church in Corinth as brothers and sisters in Christ so he affirms that um, they have been saved but he is still saying that God wants uh, God is pleased and that they have experienced godly sorrow and repentance and that though that sorrow and repentance is what leads us, okay? So he's including himself and the Corinthians in the same boat. He says it leads us from sin and into salvation. So salvation is not something that we experience in the past. Um, salvation is something that we experience daily. Like God and Jesus Christ, they are saving us daily from the sinful world from our desires, from our temptations and sometimes uh, uh, frustrations and, and maybe the, the desire to give up and to walk away from the faith or just give in to sin at any moment or whatever it may be that God is continually saving us from these things and he has the ability to save us and deliver us from these things constantly. So I, I think that's really important to understand. There's a difference um between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, Paul talks about that. Worldly sorrow lacks repentance and leads to death, spiritual death. <clears throat> but godly sorrow leads to repentance and away from sin, and it leads to eternal life. It leads us into salvation, which is very important. All right, let's read verses 11 through 16 and finish this chapter up. <clears throat> Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You have showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. 
I wrote to you so that in the sight of God you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I'm very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. All right. So as Paul continues in this discussion about godly sorrow, he talks about what is produced. And he lists these things. He, He talks about earnestness, concern, indignation, alarm, longing, zeal, and a readiness to punish wrong. And those are some great qualities uh, as he talks about this, you know, that those are amazing things. And I think it's fair to say that as Christians, if we all experienced a, a hunger for those qualities, we would all be much more efficient followers and servants of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> because of all this, um, and because all this has been reported to Paul through Titus, Paul seems to be perfectly satisfied with things being right. And he's like, okay, this is great. We're good. Everything's good between us. Um, Paul did not write the third letter, the severe letter, to talk about who was wrong or who had been wrong. He didn't care that they were wrong. He didn't care that he suffered because of them. The purpose of the letter was to see who was loyal to God, (coughs) who was still loyal to the true teaching of the gospel, which also meant who was loyal to Paul and his companions who were apostles of Jesus Christ. And it seems that Paul is incredibly encouraged and is full of faith that uh, the people of Corinth are putting their trust and faith in the Lord, uh, ready to receive Paul back in as an apostle. And what's cool is that Titus was extremely encouraged too Because he didn't know what kind of storm he was walking into when he went to go visit the Corinthians. But when he got there, everything that Paul had said to him about the Corinthians was true. Paul had talked them up. He complimented them. Um, And even when they disgraced Paul, I mean, you think about this. The last time Paul was there, they they had hurt him extremely. And and it's to the point where we really don't know. We, We think that... There was probably some physical altercation there where Paul may have been struck, um, but but he was definitely embarrassed and mistreated, um, and they were very disrespectful to him. And so he was crushed. Um, but Paul is filled with joy, and even in the midst of it, Paul is building up the Corinthians, and he, he's complimenting them, and he's boasting about them, even to Titus. And uh, so Paul is incredibly encouraged. Titus is encouraged because everything that Paul has said has been true. Titus is greatly encouraged as he was welcomed with Christian love. And Paul finishes up this chapter by talking about truth. And I think that's always really important to to understand that the gospel is truth. (coughs) And the gospel doesn't change because truth doesn't change. And, And Paul... 
says, he's like, look, we've always told the truth. And now his boasting about the church in Corinth has proved true as well. So Paul makes a, a conscious effort to always speak truth. Because if we don't always speak truth, then we lose credibility. But the more we speak truth and the more our words prove true, the more credibility we gain with the people we're trying to minister to. And if Paul wants to be um, considered an apostle by the Corinthians so he can minister to them, well, his words need to prove true, which is so important. And now his words have once again proved true. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that Paul says that now Titus feels and believes um, everything that Paul feels and believes about the Corinthian church. It said that Titus cared more about them because of the way they received him in love and because of the way that they responded to Paul's letter. So now Titus loves them like Paul loves them and cares for them how Paul cares for them. And that's a great thing. So, you know, finishing up the chapter, it, it's a wonderful way to end. You know, a lot of times we don't usually get to end on such a high note but it's nice to finish with joy every once in a while when you finish reading God's Word. Um, sometimes it can be very convicting. Sometimes it can be very sad. Um, you know, it, it can just reveal a lot of things in our lives we need to work on. So it's awesome to hear this story about this confrontation and this, this heartache and pain and this godly sorrow. But yet um, Paul writes about joy and how he's moving past this and he's forgiven them. And um, Titus is filled with joy, and now he loves the Corinthian church just as much. It's just a great way to end the chapter. And um, <clears throat> I hope and pray that if you're listening to this and you claim to be a believer in Christ, that you have the same joy that Paul and Titus felt um, with the repentance uh, of the people in Corinth with the godly sorrow. And, and I hope that you've experienced the godly sorrow that Paul's talking about in your own life for your own sins, but I also hope that you've been able to experience seeing someone that you deeply care about and love have a genuine godly sorrow about the sins in their lives, and they've repented, and they've been restored to the Lord, and they are currently um, in the process of, of salvation as God is working and moving in their lives. So, um, Lord knows we all need that. We all need Christ's grace and mercy in our lives. We all need Christ to continuously... Um, guard our hearts and to fill us with the Holy Spirit and to help us come out of the world so that we can draw closer to God and become holy and become his righteousness. All right, well, let's pray together and I'll let you go. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day, for everything you bless us with. Jesus, we ask that you would be with us. Help us to be your representatives and your ambassadors. Help us to be your righteousness, the visible image of Christ to this world, to the people around us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any sin in our life, that we would repent of it, that we would have a godly sorrow so that we can be restored to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to love and disciple others so that they would do the same. And sometimes we may need to say the hard things like Paul said in the severe letter. It may hurt in the moment, but I pray that we would say truth and speak truth in hope that people would have godly sorrow and turn to you to be saved. We love you. We thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> all right, guys. We want to thank you again for tuning in. Um, as always, we would love to see you in person on campus Sunday morning. 
at our early service 9 a.m., our regular service at 11 a.m. with Sunday school in between at 10. If you can't catch us on uh, on campus, please catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. As always, we love you. We're praying for you and hope you have a great week.